Hey, I'm Steve Fulland. How are you doing? Thanks for joining me. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For copywriter, Hilary Weiss. This is working, this is working, this is working, and then it's working until it's not. I basically woke up one day and was like, wow, I'm working way too hard for way too little money, so how do I fix this? Freelancing really is a lifestyle in many ways, and seeing people who, being connected to people who are on the other sides of their laptops all over the world, sort of experiencing the same things and learning similar lessons and finding their way on their own terms, I think there's such a blessing in being in a a group like that. So I say a big hell yeah to masterminds, but a big hell yeah to one-on-one coaching too. It's just a totally different experience. It's really not for everybody this game, but if you're a steamroller and if you're hungry and if you are really set on doing your own thing, there's nothing in the world like it. Yes, yeah, so there is Hillary. Can't wait to chat to her. I've been following her stuff online for a while. Uh, she's great on Twitter. Her YouTube series is marvellous. Uh, links as ever to all of our guests at beingfreelance.com where you can find all of the episodes. Remember, it doesn't matter what they do for a living. It's about the being freelance. Give them all a crack. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can leave a review as well, that would be amazing. Just a reminder that just before Christmas, we will be releasing episode 200. And if you would like to be at the live recording of that, just ahead of the underpinned Freelancers Christmas Party in London, then you need to be in the Being Freelance community. Come join us. There's a link at beingfreelance.com because that is where I will post the details and the link that you need first up in order to go grab your tickets. So yeah, come find us, beingfreelance.com. Let's crack on and chat to freelance copywriter Hilary Weiss. Hey, Hilary. Hey, how you doing? So happy to be here. Thanks so much uh, for chatting to us. So h- how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Once upon a time, I actually got my start in freelancing pretty young. Um, I actually got introduced to the business at about uh, when I was, uh, I think, a senior in college. So I would have been about 20 or 21 when a friend of mine sent me a link to a copywriter's website, a copywriter by the name of Alexandra Franzen. I'd never seen anything like it. I stopped on her website and it was so creative and really uh, interesting. And the work she seemed to do was really fun. And most importantly, she was a writer by trade. And I had been writing for my entire life. And I thought I wanted to go into journalism for a while. I thought I wanted to be a fiction writer for a while. But then it turned out none of those things paid very well. So I decided to pursue a degree in public relations at university instead. Uh, And so when I found this copywriter's website, I was like, oh, my God, I think this is exactly what I should be doing. So I did what most uh, young people do on the Internet. I stalked her uh, and read everything I could and found her on social media. And eventually I got in touch with her via a DM on Twitter uh, where I basically asked her if she needed a minion to do her bidding because I would do anything to learn from her. And fortunately, she said yes. So I actually started by transcribing her strategy sessions for a little while. If you were to hold a gun to my head now and tell me I had to do transcriptionist work uh, for any reason, I would probably be like, you know what? I'm ready to go. Uh, it's, not my, it's not my favorite thing to do. Uh, but it really taught me the ropes and taught me a lot. And eventually she passed me my first client. And I actually teamed up with that friend who sent me the copywriter's uh, website in the first place. Her name was Cassie Oswald. And we actually started as a duo. So I started as a copywriter. She was the designer and we would do websites. We had this great brand name, uh, Youngblood Sorcery, which I'm still particularly <laughs> proud of, even though it's you know, now uh, on indefinite hiatus. 
Um, and then we basically got our start in the world that way. We parted ways and I went solo, I want to say in 2015 or 16. And ever since then, I've sort of been a solo act and I work, I got my start with in the women's uh, self-help coaching and creative spheres. And now I do a little bit of everything. I've done work in SaaS. I do work in more creative spaces with designers and artists. I work with physicians uh, to create personal brands. Basically, I'm in the uh, the business of personal branding, interesting people. So I have no complaints there. Uh, and that's all started, I think, in 2011. And so it's been a good eight years now. And for every year in freelance days actually count. I don't know if you know this, uh, but they actually count as dogs years. So I've actually been in business for 56 years now. Very, very proud of that. Uh, long <laughs> I love that. That's so true. It should be that way. Or oh, it is that way now that you said it. <laughs> yeah, it should be. See, I'm just spreading the gospel. Yeah. Just letting everybody that. know the fact. So how was that? When you started as, a, as Young Blood Sorcery, which should also be some sort of pop group. But anyway, so- <laughs> When you started as Young Blood Sorcery, how was it collaborating? That was that was interesting, and that was unexpectedly. Uh, you know, we were we had two very different work styles. I'm very much like a steamroller, and when you get something in front of me, I'm like, "Yep, done. I will hit the deadline, even if I die." Whereas my designer friend, as designers tend to do, because it's a different sort of experience, needed to take more space and um, kind of put a little bit more space between her and the client. So client relationships kind of fell to me a little bit, but we found a good balance and we worked together quite well for a couple of years, but then she realized that she wanted to go more into illustration and instead of graphic design and websites. Uh, so that's a part of the reason why we parted ways. And she's actually in school now uh, for art therapy, which is pretty cool uh, here in uh, New York city. So she's doing really well, but I think it was interesting because we both started at the same time. I discovered that business was really for me. And while she enjoyed the creative side of things and enjoyed being freelance, the business side of things wasn't necessarily for her. And that makes sense. It's really not for everybody, this game. But if you're a steamroller and if you're hungry and if you, <laughs> if you are uh, really set on doing your own thing, there's nothing in the world like it and learning to succeed in this kind of world. So how did you go about getting those first freelance clients? I was really fortunate in that um, my first, that cl- that client that I was working with doing transcription work for, she actually sent me my first ever client who I worked with, I think for free to learn the ropes for about six months. And I charged her something like, I don't know, 20 bucks an hour, uh, temp- very, like very small and in very small increments because I was too chicken to actually charge for all the work I was doing. But after that, I actually got my name passed around. Are you familiar with Marie Forleo's B-School? Yeah, well, we've heard it mentioned a few times, yeah. Yes, this was in the early days when it was really starting to pick up uh, steam. I think the big, like, everybody has heard about this now a year for B-School was 2014, and this was a couple of years earlier, so this was like 2012 or 2011. And my for some reason, why I've never taken B-School, my name started getting passed around in the community, uh, which was really interesting. And I started, people started hearing about me that way. I was also very cheap at the time. So that's probably another reason, although I like to think it was because of my ridiculously amazing young talent. I was also very cheap. Uh, So my name kind of got passed around there. And I remember what I was also offering clients was actually first service free, which was (laughs) a mixed bag uh, because there was, I had no coach at the time. There was no one really teaching newbies how to run freelance copywriting businesses, not as many as there are now. So I offered the first service free and I got a lot of people in the door that way. So I'd write like a free blog post or an email or if I was feeling particularly 
inadequate that day, a landing page I would do for free. But that was fortunate that it got a lot of people in the door and it got my name passed around quite quickly. And that was really lucky to plug into a community like that. And I talked to a lot of my coaching clients and students about that, um, where if you want to build up a referral-based business, getting active and being present in communities is so essential. And I really credit the B-School community for being a huge part of how I started to build my brand. And how did it start to change then over time? Especially because at this stage, you're doing that first service for free. You, mm-hmm. you, you're lacking in confidence, but you're, you're building in confidence and yes. starting to get your name out there. I guess what happened next is probably the quick way of saying it. I would say a uh, minor. I think everybody experiences that first initial implosion uh, of freelance work where you are, you feel like, okay, this is working, this is working, this is working. And then it's working until it's not uh, in the sense that I basically kind of woke up one day and was like, wow, I'm working way too hard for way too little money. So how do I fix this? And actually, um, this is part of how I, and I was still with Youngblood Sorcery when I did this. So have you heard about uh, day rates being really popular now? The, this idea of day rates for copywriters? Wow. No, okay. go for it. Well, I would just wanted to say, I wanted to brag because I was OG kind of day rater. But day, basically what day rates are now is, and, and the, what they were then is that, you know, finding a package where you work together with a client to get a bunch of deliverables done in a single day. Like very, very, sounds like an easy offer. Um, And so people were offering that around that time as well. It kind of goes in waves as a popular offer because there's a lot of uh, things wrong with it, which I'll get to in a minute. But I, so I I decided to switch my business model thinking that what would help is if I, I was really overwhelmed, I was working way too hard, I was charging way too little. So I figured what would help would be working with one client at a time, intensive style, because I could work really fast. But of course, I typed very fast and I, I like had my systems down early, which was nice. But what I was missing was being overwhelmed and was pro- I didn't have really good boundaries. So I had clients' projects sort of wandering off into infinity until one of us died. So I decided, well, let me switch over to sort of the date rate intensive style model. So I launched an offer, which I uh, was very proud of the name for, and I still am, called the Astral Intensives. Because we were, uh, Youngblood Sorcery was kind of like witchy. Uh, zodiac kind of themed, um, mystical themed. <laughs> so the astral intensives, and I had uh, the comet, the North Star, and the supernova. And the comet was the one day offer where I would work with clients on one day on a small deliverable. The North Star was a three day offer where I would set them up with like I don't know, like a sales page and some emails. And then the uh, supernova, I could do a full website in a week. So that's sort of how I rejigged my business. And I started offering exclusively those packages. And I did that for a couple of years. And what was interesting about that was that it got a lot of people in the door. People loved the system. But what was also interesting was it turns out if you don't handle your boundaries problems when they're happening, changing offers isn't going to actually solve your boundaries problem. So for a while, you know, I was working six, seven days a week for a couple of years because I would work intensive style with a client. And then, of course, I would over deliver so I wouldn't be able to wrap everything up. And so I would basically just go on to the next client the next day and then catch up on tying up the loose ends on the weekends. So I was, you know, making pretty solid money for me at the time. And a lot of people were coming in the door. And again, it was by all accounts working in one way or another, but it was really not ideal for me. So then I switched business models again. And then I had a retainer only business model because I was like, I still think a lower number of clients is the move. Um, only work on this boundaries thing. And then I, so I started working with retainer clients and got really specific in my contract language, which helped, but old habits really do die hard. Um, And eventually I, in the last, I think about a year and a half ago, 
maybe closer to a year ago, I let go of my retainer clients and now work mostly on high-end project basis, which has actually been the uh, the saving grace for me because now I'm at a point I've had, I've done a lot of work on myself and my business and how I relate to my clients and how I work. It has been a lot easier for me to set those boundaries because high ticket clients, uh, the ones that I work with at least tend to understand uh, that you can't call me on a weekend and we can't do something last minute uh, because my time is billable. But it's been a really interesting journey. And I, I always make this crack, but it is true uh, that entrepreneurship is the probably the Thunderdome of personal development. Uh, like everything is going to come up for you. If you've got <laughs> the poor boundaries, if you have self-doubt, if you have insecurities, it's going to bring everything up eventually. So you have to learn how to deal with it and shift according to what you learn that you need and what your strengths and weaknesses are. Wow. So actually, going back to when you were offering those three distinct packages of a day, a few days a week, yeah, you were over delivering, but was it really to do with, with the scheduling? Like you didn't leave a day between yeah. jobs or, or what, whatever. And sometimes I did it even that wasn't enough because it's so exhausting working in intensive style because mm. it was doing the phone calls and then the, the drafts and deliverables and editing all in the same day. So my brain would just sort of fry at around 4 p.m., but I would still have like three or four hours of work left to do. Um, so I would leave a buffer of a day, but I also wasn't charging enough. Um, and due to the nature of the packages being three days or five days, there wasn't a lot of room for me to take a buffer day because I, I think it was I was charging like 400. This was back in like 2013. So it was like 400 for the one day like 850 for three days and like a thousand for a week. So I just was not, I wasn't priced well. I didn't believe I needed coaching at the time. Shame on me. But I think it was just the error in my pricing because if I left too much space and took more time, then I would not have been able to continue making the money. And while I could have absolutely raised my rates, I was just really lacking in confidence then. And I realized that in terms of the way my brain works, I just need a longer time to really do good work. Uh, that's why with my projects now, every deliverable has about a one-week turnaround time. So at what point did you get a coach? Because you've mentioned the coach a couple of times. So, so, so at what point did you? Well, let's see here. So I probably invested in my first coach. It was like a $200 a month group mastermind thing uh, with a woman called Erica Learmark. And that was probably, I want to say, 2016. Um, but it's the arrogance of youth. I was like, <laughs> what? why do I need a coach? I don't know. I'm fine. Look, I'm making money. I'm I've been running a business since I was 22 and everyone thinks I'm very fancy and successful. Why would I need a coach? Um, and what I needed a coach for, cause I always pictured a coach being more as like a, like I really thought about it in terms of like a sports coach being like, go harder, do more things. Blah. Uh, but <laughs> turns out what I, what I really needed help with uh, was pulling back and boundaries and creating more space and not necessarily keeping my nose to the grindstone. Absolutely. All the time. But really learning how to make a business that would work for me. Uh, and so my first coach, Erica, I think she sat me down and we had our first call because uh, there was like a private call, the, an initial welcome call included in the membership. It was like a weekly call and then Voxer support and all of that. Um, she told me, I was like going off about my five-year plan and she was like, so I've got to be honest with you. If you keep going at this pace, you're going to give yourself a stroke. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, -uh, like I'm hustling. This is the whole thing. This is the point, isn't it? Like I was, I've been reading the Instagram memes. They definitely told me I'm supposed to hustle hard. Hashtag team no sleep and all that stuff. Um, so that was really, <laughs> that was really helpful for me. And, and I've uh, actually, 
at a time. And I think 2017, I had three coaches where I had someone helping me uh, build the next phase of my business. I had somebody for accountability and I had somebody for like mindset and physical fitness because turns out burnout takes its toll on your health. So that's been super helpful for me. And now I coach in turn, which is really fun. Uh, and just a, the highlight of so much of what I do is helping other freelancers sort of build their own brands and develop their own messaging and big ideas and really get out of the hole of feeling like they have to be behind the scenes all the time or working all the time in order to be successful. How did you find the mastermind way of working? I, you know, I like it. I've done a few since and I actually, I run my own. I have a, an incubator right now called Thunder, which is sort of like a six week long mastermind for idea development. But I actually really enjoyed it because I like getting to know other peers in the same sort of situations that I am. You learn so much from fellow business owners who are sort of on the same path you are, or maybe are a couple years ahead of you, or maybe a couple of years behind you, sort of learning about their experiences. And you have so much to contribute as a group. It's more than just the leader of the mastermind. That's the benefit of that kind of access, because I think... Uh, in the entrepreneurial world and freelance world, we can be very isolated, but despite the fact we're on social media at all times and just tweeting obnoxious stuff and, you know, sharing a uh, team no sleep memes on Facebook. It's just very, uh, we don't realize that how, just how not alone we are. And I'm sure that you've experienced this too with the podcast. Like so many of the stories, everyone has the same kind of stories in a lot of ways and everyone's found their way out of the woods over and over again. And I think being close to people who live this it's because freelancing really is a lifestyle in many ways and seeing people who be being connected to people who are on the other sides of their laptops all over the world sort of experiencing the same things and learning similar lessons and finding their way um on their own terms i think there's such a blessing in being in a a group like that so i say a big hell yeah to masterminds but a big hell yeah to one-on-one coaching too it's just a totally different experience since you've had a few coaches then by the sounds of it yeah how do you figure out what coaches are good one for you so this is funny because i don't think i've ever taken on a coach from somebody like hitting me up on linkedin being like hello i noticed that you are a creative <laughs> business owner i coach creative business owners to reach their next level have consistent 10k months and reach their first six figures in revenue um those aren't my folks i the the interesting thing about a lot of my coaches is um so Erica, I got connected to because I had been following her for years. She had this book that I just love. I listened to a lot of podcast episodes. And I, what I find I look for in a coach is I look for people who are um, no nonsense, but have a strong personality because I, I'm not, some people are looking for a coach to be kind of like a encouraging yes man or a woman where it's like, yeah, raise that rate, do that thing. But I, what I look for in a coach is somebody I know and trust to give it to me straight, uh, who will push me out of my comfort zone. But I also think what's most important for me is that they have a clear personal brand and are highly, highly creative because watching people who have built a creative brand for themselves and it's one that is so clear and one have had you know, a great track record of success. I find um, that's who I tend to be drawn to as coaches. My, one of my other biggest coaches is my mentor. Her name is Sarah Ancamo Ashman, and she is a a really amazing creative director in my space. She helped me put my brand statement piece studio together. Uh, how we started to work together was I actually took a course of hers. We were friends for a while and I basically reached out to her and I was like, do you ever coach? Because like, I would really like to learn from you because you clearly have a lot of knowledge. Um, I, I think I take a look at people's track records and I, when I, when I see a coach, it usually takes 
me a while to get to know them. I'm usually stalking them from afar, from afar for a minute, making sure that they are worth their salt. Because you've got a lot of coaches in the sphere who are have built business, teaching other people to build businesses. And their first successful business was this build, business building business. So they're basically sort of parroting things that they've learned before. And, you know, they took, you know, Alt-MBA and B-School, and now they know everything there is to know so they can coach you. Um, I'm looking for people, uh, coaches with a lot of real world experience first, who then came into the sphere and um, have, have that experience to bring. Because I find sort of diversity of experience in a coach is just like diversity of experience in a freelancer. It's valuable. You need to be able to see things sort of out of your existing bubble and begin to imagine possibilities that maybe you would not have even dared consider before uh, and be led there by people you trust uh, who've walked the walk. So You you mentioned a, a while back that you got your systems down early. Yes. What are the systems that have helped you with your freelance business? In terms of my business building systems, I actually, right now, I have a, I run a super tight ship. I have a great assistant. Um, I used Upsado. Everything is on the back end there. But when I, when I mentioned systems earlier, I was like, I said that and I was like, oh, I got to make sure I clarify on this because my business systems were a hot mess. But what was really tight were my systems for onboarding clients and offboarding and my interview process. Alexander Franzen, that first copywriter I worked for, I was transcribing her strategy sessions. So I had a grip on what questions to ask. And that was really, really useful for me. And of course, it's evolved. But my, my onboarding form, my brand voice brief hasn't changed much since I started. Um, my interview questions, regardless of sort of what page we're working on, um, haven't changed much. But I've learned how to give a client interview and have the client sort of write the page as we go. Um, asking really specific questions so I can figure out what are the headlines? What's the body copy? What's the big promise? What's the CTA? Like, how does this all fit into the bigger picture of the site. And I've learned to be able to have these conversations with people who may not be super tech familiar or website familiar, but just explaining how everything works together because that not only makes my writing process easier by getting all these questions answered, uh, it also helps with client buy-in because I reflect back things I'm hearing. I'm like, okay, this sounds like the big promise. This sounds like the key differentiator. This seems like the how, let's talk about the features and benefits all of that. Um, so my systems for bringing clients on and putting ideas together have been really locked in since day one, which has been really, really great. Um, and just a key question that I recommend everybody ask, and this can be a game changer for a lot of clients. And I love to think about it, especially when you're going for tone as a copywriter. And I stole this from someone else. I forget who it was, but I was reading about it years and years ago. And the key, one of my favorite questions to ask clients is how do you want people to feel uh, in three different stages. How do you want people to feel when they first land on this website or uh, see this email or watch this video? How do you want people to feel the minute after they've made the purchase or they've invested in you? And then how do you want them to feel 10 years down the line looking back on their experience with you? Questions like that are really powerful because they force the client to get clear on their value as well as you know, helping you understand how to express it and how they understand themselves. And then on top of that, you've, so you've, you're organized, you use Dubsado. Yes. Did, did you say you have an assistant as well? I do. Yes. I have a couple, I have a, I have a small team. Um, I have a social gal and I have who does, who repurposes a lot of my content. Um, but I'm just like, I'm just sitting on this mountain of content, like a lot of freelancers are right now, eight years in. So she's repurposing it on LinkedIn and social, but my a virtual assistant does a lot of uh, my other pieces for me. So 
What I love about Dubsado is that everything is in-house, basically, with the exception of my email. Uh, I use ConvertKit. But what's great about Dubsado is that it has all of my client onboarding and offboarding documents, contracts, invoices, and it's all automated. Uh, so basically, I have a client sign up and they start to go through a workflow. So they get the contract. As soon as they sign the contract, they get the invoice. As soon as they get the invoice, they get the brand voice brief, which is my onboarding form. As soon as they complete the brief, they get a link to my calendar to schedule um, a time to talk. And then everything kind of lives in there. So I, because I was losing so much time uh, in my business before I had an assistant on admin work or reminding other assistants I was working with to complete the admin work. So that was a big game changer for me. And fortunately for me, my VA is a Dubsado wizard because it's not a platform that it's, it's a platform that's kind of hard to DIY. Um, but she does an amazing job with it. And there's just, and they're constantly adding updates at all times. So big heck yeah to Dubsado. When did you first bring on an assistant? How, how was that? Oh my gosh. Um, I started working with my first assistant, I want to say in 2016. And she was great. Um, she was a sweetheart, very smart, very hardworking. But what was interesting is as I got, um, as I started to kind of diversify my income, diversify my income stream, <laughs> um, I, cause I started doing a course I was, and I started doing one-on-one coaching and I started doing consulting and I started doing speaking, which is all outside of the realm of one-to-one client work um, and doing launches. I realized that I really needed a virtual assistant who was well-versed in the way those processes work because trying to throw somebody from the frying pan into the fire on a launch when they they're not familiar with one, they've never seen it done. They don't know. They think they don't have no idea what PLS stands for, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I, I decided, you know, I need to shift. So I, I worked with a couple of assistants in between until I found Emily who is really, really well-versed in all of this uh, great, you know, end of Sato and understands how online business in the way I work uh, sort of functions on from the launch side of things to the client side of things to uh, just being able to have an assistant who could kind of predict what to do next has been awesome. And it's also really unusual to find. Sometimes with uh, an assistant, you have to test a few people out before you really land on the person. And now it feels like we've been working together for years and years. Although I think we only started working together in uh, January or February. Mm, interesting. So it's worth trying different ones out. But also, I guess, by the sounds of it, thinking about what it is that you actually need doing because different virtual assistants specialize in different things yeah exactly and my first one she was great but it was more of like a gopher kind of relationship i was like i need this done today so she would do it as opposed to like having a consistent list you check off um and you know being able to predict and be like okay we're launching next month i need this this and this from you or you know taylor who's my social gal sent over this make sure you check this out because we need to get this rolled out and all of that stuff i'm just somebody who can keep those details and know how they all string together in your head is so important. So I really think before people hire a VA, sitting down and just writing down where you're spending the most time right now, what you really want to give away, this kind of systems a person needs to know in order to be a strong part of your team or improve it. It's so important. And when I hired my first assistant, I was just so grateful to have an extra pair of hands. I, I didn't even sort of sit down and write a job description. I was just like, you you seem great. And you came recommended by someone who's kind of in my sphere. So let's do it. And she was great. But as your business needs to grow, you need to make sure you have a team that speaks your language. Hmm. So I noticed recently that, and obviously people could be listening to this at any point in the future, but uh, you have relaunched 
your website and you mentioned um, the st- statement piece brand that you've created. Yes. So I'm intrigued to chat about that as well, like because that must have been a huge undertaking. First of all, like yes. what what made you what what was it before? So if people go and look at your website now, they'll see one thing. But what was it before, and then what made you want to rebrand yourself? I guess. Oh, why not? Rebranding is, is fun, but no, I uh, so I launched. So I had my first website, uh, the first, the original uh, iteration of HillaryWeiss.com. I actually did. I have a show uh, on YouTube where I yelled at the first version of my website. Uh, it's the, the YouTube show is called Hillary and Margot Yell at Website. So that's why I was talking about yelling at it. So if you go on YouTube and look up Hamyaw, H-A-M-Y-A-W, the first episode, you'll see my first site. Because it was me and like this straw boater hat and there were like these yellow flowers and it was like pinks and blues and like soft pastels. Um, and that didn't really feel like me. So I rebranded in 2016 where I had, uh, it was a lot more edgy, you know, uh, lots of blacks and tans and like still the blues, but still. Um, but then when I was entering, this was actually probably in 2017 when I first hit on the idea was that my existing site, um, had me, uh, the, the, the focal piece was of course my copywriting, but it didn't really feel like a brand I could grow anymore. Um, it felt like it was a great personal website. It was a great website for a copywriter. Um, but my platform was expanding. I was offering more things. My uh, visibility was increasing. My hair color had completely changed in the years since that website launch. So I was brunette in those photos and now I'm blonde. So it's just, you just can't confuse people like that. Um, so I knew I wanted to sort of create a next level brand. My business was ready for it. I wanted a brand that I could grow into the next five, 10 years. Uh, and I wanted to have a good name because I, as much as I love copywriting, it is a piece of the puzzle now and of a much bigger picture. So I really wanted to build a brand that could create that. And so that was when I entered my mentor. Now, mentor Sarah's course called Mirror Brand, which is about essentially building a brand rooted in exactly who you are and sort of where you come from and your specialty and all of that, really creating a deep personal brand that you feel really connected to and is really built to stand the test of time. In that, I was like thinking about my life and I was like, what? what is uh, something about me in my day-to-day life that is reflected in my work? What am I kind of known for IRL? And I was like, well, I'm always wearing a one piece of statement jewelry, at least, or like, or like a shirt. There's one thing on my person at all times that's essentially like a conversation starter because I'm an extrovert. I don't know if you can tell. I'm an extrovert with a Godzilla of a personality. So I, uh, everywhere I go, I'm like, new friend? So if I have a, <laughs> a conversation starter on me, I, I increase my chances of making a new friend. Um, and also wearing that same piece of jewelry or clothing, um, what I loved about it and then what I, why I've made it a habit is that it expresses a little bit of who I am to somebody before I say a word. They can understand me uh, a little bit better before I have to, I introduce myself or before they find out what I do, uh, they can kind of see a little bit of who I am. And that is, I realized what I do with my copywriting and creative direction work and branding work is I help people create brands that make them unmissable in their markets and communicate who they are to their chosen people before they have to sell a, say a word, before they have to get on that sales call, before they have to um, you know convince somebody that they should open their wallets. Uh, being able to build a brand and have clear messaging and strategy that communicates who you are before you necessarily, without having to go through a whole spiel explaining, uh, can be really useful and powerful to people. So I was like, oh my God, statement piece, statement piece of jewelry, statement piece of messaging. Oh my God, statement piece studio. Uh, And from there, it actually took, and I realized I wanted to do um, all primary colors and the branding, uh, which I'm sure you have noticed. 
uh, because not a lot. Of, I, I saw nobody using primary colors, and also it was um, it was inspired by the artist Mondrian, uh, who is that I don't know if you remember from the '90s that abstract uh, white black and then red blue and yellow uh those paintings they're big boxes yeah if you google it you would be it, they, there was like a l'oreal bottle with one of those designs on the basically which is how most people remember yes yeah yes. in the 90s yeah um and so that because but they were the everything was reduced to those three colors in this artist's work because he was essentially distilling everything down to its essence and every color is a combination of that red yellow and blue so I was like, oh, cool, because I am distilling people down to their essence, their core essence, which is what their statement piece is. Um, and that's like sort of the foundational part of their personality and their key differentiator. So and also nobody else was using primary colors in the space. There was a lot of pastels and there was a lot of sparkly golds and sparkly silvers and all of this stuff. And I was like, you know what? Let's go balls to the wall primary. Um, and then we put together um, as and then by that time I was working one on one with Sarah we did this whole photo shoot where I'm like jumping out of the computer and, you know, I've got the prom queen thing on the praise page. It was just really a chance for me to mess around, uh, but also create a consistent narrative thread around this idea of the statement piece and statement piece studio uh, that would essentially create a brand that they can continue to build on and expand uh, because Hillary Weiss copywriting is for me exclusively as a copywriter, whereas I am doing more different things now. Statement piece studio uh, is a brand that could eventually house uh, more subcontractors. It is eventually can be a core sort of base brand for any creative direction work I do and all of that stuff. So it really is a brand built with an eye to the future. And yes, it was a huge undertaking. It took about a year and a half. I was going to say, like, sometimes we can have ideas and we just want to do them, just make them happen. But you must have bided your time. Yes. Yes, you cannot rush art. Uh, but no, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it did because I think, and this is where a lot of uh, freelancers tend to stumble a little bit because there are some people promising that they can build you a brand in like a day or you can build a brand in a week or a month. And that is true for maybe a starter brand. Like if you are at square one and you don't even have a website right now, like putting something together really simple and getting it up there is um, fine. And absolutely, you can do that in a short span of time. But when it comes to really building a brand you want to last, a brand that's going to grow with you, a brand that has the power to evolve, that takes a lot more time and you have to be patient. And this is what big brands understand. I think that a lot of smaller business owners and freelancers kind of can sometimes struggle to grasp is the fact that uh, it really does take time because you have to make sure that the brand is true to you. You have to test it out. You have to make sure your offers connect. You have to sit with it and really digest it and like get into the nooks and crannies uh, because that's how you build a vision. And that is how you build something that's designed to grow. It just takes time. So you've got to be patient. You can't rush it. But most importantly, like give yourself time and space to enjoy the process because that's a big part of it for me. I love rebranding because it's so creative and there are a million different little pieces and I love every single one of them. And it's such a privilege to be able to put together something like this that allows me to be so expressive and at times radical and um, bold and myself in public forum in a way that gets results. And how did you like fit it in time-wise? Because you must have still been doing client work oh, yeah. and, and stuff at the same time. So did you, you know, I don't know, have a specific day where you just worked on that project your own project or I so I tend to take mornings for myself um right now I'm I'm shredding for my wedding uh, so I'm in the gym a lot but most mornings I am sitting down I'm doing my own writing and I'm focusing on my own stuff and I'm editing my show or I'm writing to my list or I'm 
writing an article. Um, so I usually usually start client work. I don't even take client calls normally before noon um, because in the morning is just when I work on stuff because that's when I tend to be my most creative uh, and when my mind is the most open. Um, and But for something like building my course, I had a course for a while called The Word Shops, uh, which was like my copywriting magnum opus. It was like everything I wanted to teach people about copywriting end to end. And that, how I did that was that was when my schedule was even crazier because my boundaries were crap. And so what I did was I just took, I woke up an hour early every morning and I just worked on it for an hour. And I did that for about three months until it was done. Um, so you can really simplify time management uh, in that regard. I'm not really a, I'm not really a Pomodoro person. I'm not really a time blocking person. I can only think in terms of very simple equations. So it was like, add one more hour, one more hour to work on things. <laughs> I like that whole idea, though, of making the first hour or the first part of your day, the morning, yeah, dedicated to working on stuff that is going to take you forward. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think freelancers give themselves that privilege enough. No, we, we crack straight on with the client stuff and then feel knackered by the time it comes to our bit. And, exactly. Uh, you mentioned your visibility increasing. In what ways have you managed to get yourself out there more Oh, just, just by being loud and bothering people. Um, no, on social media, I Facebook is my platform, was my pl main platform for a very long time. Um, I was active in Facebook groups around copywriting and creativity. Um, and since then, Twitter has become a big platform for me, um, just in terms of an opportunity to connect with fellow marketers. I also do speaking in workshops. I speak at the Copywriter Club's event. I've spoken there the last two years. I was on tour uh, with a company called Local IQ and their business accelerator. Um, they're owned by USA Today. So I was like on tour last winter for them. I teach client masterminds and I teach at client events. I also have my uh, hot seat coaching sessions called the lightning rounds, which I do a few times a year or like every other quarter really, where I can sort of bring my audience in and get a chance to work with them in like 10 minute increments. And so it's been, there are lots of ways that I continue to build my profile. And of course I write. Uh, and I blog and a lot of my pieces have done really well uh, in recent memory because I tend to focus on talking about the stuff not a lot of people talk about in, in the online business space, which has gotten me in trouble a few times. Um, but I'm really all about radical transparency and honesty in my work. So I try to always be encouraging. I try to always be positive. Um, but I do try to be radically transparent about the realities of business and freelancing and uh you know, working creatively for yourself. And I think people really respond to that. So I built a great amount of trust between my audience and myself. And I teamed up with Margot Aaron, who's also fabulous. If you guys haven't heard of her, she's got the best newsletter on the internet. Um, besides mine, no, it's way better than mine. Because we, we do this show <laughs> together and we always, we always, we both write an email on launch day and every time she kicks my ass. But we do our show together. So basically I built visibility by, again, being transparent and just doing whatever I can to help people. When did you start that show, by the way? Hamia? Uh, it's got, coming up on a year. It's a great show. There'll be links to everything, of course, that Hillary's chatting about at beingfreelance.com. Have you found a difference when it comes to potentially working with people as because of doing that? As in people, because oh, yeah. it feels like obviously your voice and your personality is definitely coming across via YouTube. Why, thank you. Yes, it's been, it's been great in terms of... Um, building that trust because a lot of my clients watch Hamya, a lot of my colleagues were watch Hamya and they definitely listened to me before, but it's, it sort of changed the conversation a little bit 
as they uh, have begun not looking to me for the answers, but it has certainly shifted in how I talk with clients about the strategic side of things because they understand I have a depth of experience and a depth of knowledge now. And so it's opened up a lot of opportunity to uh, help people build businesses beyond just messaging strategy or branding. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I was able to do my uh, what I, my incubator, my idea incubator that I'm running now, Thunder. Um, I think every participant watches Hamya. Uh, and they came to basically have access to my brain, which is really fun um, and really flattering. So that has been a, a great tool for me to position myself as a quote unquote thought leader, as cringy as that is to say. It works, though. And the interesting thing about it is I was like, I can only be a thought leader if I have, you know, a million YouTube followers and a quarter million followers on Instagram and all this stuff. But in fact, it's, we have a small, but really passionate audience. And that small, but passionate audience is often people who are in line with my ideal client and in line with uh, the people who I coach and, and do copywriting for. So it is really, it's been very, very interesting how it has made me a bit of a magnet for more of the work I want to do by just talking openly about the work that I'm already doing. Yeah, no, I love that. Now, I oh God, man, I feel like I could talk to you for ages, but I <laughs> know. <laughs> sorry, I feel like I'm like monologuing no, over here. But first so. of all, these episodes have to end at some point, and also, I'm yeah. always in trouble for being late for picking up the kids. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fair. So, I might just bin off my gym subscription because just running to the school on such a regular basis. <laughs> You gotta get in your cardio. It's essential. We're sedentary sitting on our desks all day. You're doing yourself a favor. So I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, yes. one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me, Hillary? All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. The first the first one is a woman is about to come to my house to interview me dressed as Gary V. <laughs> the, the second fact, yeah. Mm-hmm. The second fact is. My weirdest project to date was basically a sex app for baby boomers. And then if I, the third fact is if I could move my business anywhere in the world, it would be Los Angeles, California. Okay, right. (laughs) You see, the weird thing is, it's like, I can't decide why you would make up the third one about Los Angeles. (laughs) Like, that feels like that must be true, because, I don't know, if you were going to make it up, you could have picked anywhere. Yeah, Um, that's true. The sex app for baby boom. What was it called? <laughs> I don't. I don't think I can actually tell you the name because I don't know if it ever made it um, on to screens. I don't think the project got canned for one reason <sighs> or another from the client. I know, like, so I can't tell you the name. Okay, hang, was- okay, hang on. Tell me the name, and I promise to bleep it out for legality. <laughs> for I'm sorry, everybody, okay. but I need to hear it. Okay, so it was. Uh- That's, um, I mean, crikey. Okay. Um, <laughs> and was it sponsored by like one of those new mattress companies that comes by? Oh, the my, it or? should have been. They didn't think that one through at all. <laughs> okay, right. That might be true. You've got somebody coming to interview dressed as Gary V. I do. The sort of person that you are, a fake Gary V interview being very plausible. <laughs> and, so and if glad. it is that true, resonates. I can't wait to see it. Which makes me think that Los Angeles is the lie. But like I said, why would you make that up? Because you could have come up with anything. Oh, I don't know. Okay, the LA. LA is the lie. Yes, LA is the lie. I'm not really... 
Coast Los Angeles person. I love the East Coast. I'm a New Yorker to my core these days. You let yourself down with the quality of your life. <laughs> oh! Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? It would be that working yourself to the bone is not the recipe for success. That is the recipe for burnout. But I find what success is, is about being able to have a life, not just a job, not just a certain number of zeros in your bank account. Success is about being able to be the person you want to be while doing the work you want to do. Uh, and that looks like many things. So for some people that looks like six figures, some people that looks like seven, some people that works like looks like 75K a year and being able to travel whenever they want. There are no rules. You make them up as you go. So I think just reminding myself that in order to be successful, I don't constantly have to have my nose to the grindstone and be sort of crawling to the next destination because I'm so tired and I've worked so hard. And having that bragging point that I'm like, oh, I haven't slept in all of this. That's not necessarily success. Success is being able to have a life and do the kind of work you want to do and enjoy just being in business. That is what success is. Linking to that then, how is your work-life balance now? My work-life balance, you know, it's always stands to be improved. Um, but I stopped working on weekends two years ago. It's a, it's a rule. It's a law. I take the last Friday of every month off and I'll be taking more and more time off as time goes on. I'm going to keep building that up. I am away somewhere traveling like every other month. Uh, sometimes it's for work. Sometimes it's for fun. Sometimes it's to see family, which is both things. Uh, I get up and I make sure I work out. My, my fitness is so much better now. My health is so much better because I take time away from my desk to feed myself. I try not to eat lunch at my desk. Uh, I try to eat it at a dining room table. <laughs> and just really not being afraid to take the space and to take the time. And sometimes to, if I don't have any deliverables on my plate to, that day, to just take a day off um, and relax and enjoy it. And remember that taking some time and space is actually helpful to my creativity and will make me better at my job as opposed to making me lazy or feeling like I'm shirking responsibilities. I always hit my deadlines, but they're much better spaced out now. So I'm not constantly working till midnight. I'm no longer working six, 70 days a week. I take every legal holiday off and then some, and it just gives me much more space to be myself and to breathe and be creative. Hillary, it's been so good speaking to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. Like I said, there'll be links through like there are for all of our guests to see what Hillary is up to. But do yourself a favor, check out her website because uh, it's very different to a lot of freelance websites. Also, check out the YouTube show that she mentioned as well, hashtag Hamyor, which is, well, it's, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Just go watch it. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's really interesting as well. So um, yeah, that's, and in fact, there is an episode where you talk about your branding yes. as well, isn't there? Your relaunch of your site. Yeah. So go take a look. We'll put links to that at beingfreelance.com. While you're there, don't forget to check out the videos, click through to the Being Freelance community, come say hi, join us there. And if you're a freelancing parent, don't forget the other podcast as well, Doing It For The Kids, which is a collaboration with the Doing It For The Kids community. Uh, so yes search for doing it for the kids you'll find us there as well but for now Hillary so glad we oh oh and by the way make sure you follow Hillary on Twitter one of my favorite Twitter bios thank you <laughs> so you're not allowed to change it thank you. Oh, I'm so um, proud of that one thank you I won't <laughs> I type words into the internet and money comes yes, up yes exactly <laughs> you gotta distill things down to their essence that's the secret well thank you so much for having me Steve this has been a blast 